So this morning, we're going to be diving back into the Lord's Prayer. If you've got your Bible with you, or if it's on your phone, wherever it is on your app, go ahead and uh, turn to Matthew chapter 6. Super glad that you're all here this morning. I do need to take just a moment to, to uh, focus on some of the people who are joining us online, because I don't know who else it is, but my mom and dad are there, so hi, mom and dad. So yeah, I know. I got we got family, we've got friends. We've I know we've got some people who are normally here with us uh, on Sunday, uh, Joey and Allison. So I know they're they're traveling right now, but they told me they were going to make sure they got to watch. So it's uh, it's a wonderful privilege to have our body even now expanding and growing, and to be able to share what we're doing here around the world. So what a privilege! Got there? Are you there? Matthew chapter six. Are you all there? So take just a minute, before we go here, we're going to pull that one back off for a sec, that slide. Tracy, she's so, uh, Nikki's so on it up there, she's uh, ahead of me. Take a moment, and there on your own Bible, read those couple verses, Matthew 6, 7 to 9. They're the intro verses for the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to read it in a different passage here. Most likely you're not reading it from the same passage I'm going to read, or the same message, the same version, the message. Um, Most likely you're not reading it in there. So just take a moment. Read Matthew 6, 7 to 9 in whatever version you have. This is from the message version, and I just really liked it. I'm using the, uh, the ESV, the, that's the version that we kind of use as a church, but this, this version from the message, I felt like it just really got to some pieces to this as we intro this passage this morning. The world is full of so-called prayer warriors who are prayer ignorant. They're full of formulas and programs and advice, peddling techniques for getting what you want from God. Don't fall for that nonsense. This is your father you're dealing with, and he knows better than you what you need. With a God like this loving you, you can pray very simply like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This morning, we're going to be focusing on verse 10. This is a verse that over the last two years, as things got crazier and crazier in our country, you just pick a topic, right? The insanity over the last two years. And as things got crazier and crazier, I found myself for the, it's kind of sad to admit, but I was praying more than I ever had in my entire life. So one of the good things that came out of all that insanity was I prayed more, a lot more. And this is one of those verses, verse 10 was one of those verses that I prayed a lot. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it was almost more of a soul cry as I walked around praying, I don't have answers, God, for this subject or this subject or this subject. You just list out these crazy things happening in our world. And I would just go to God and say, your will be done. 
Your kingdom come, because if I fix this, it's not going to go well for that other person. And I just found myself this soul cry. So when we got a chance, I realized that this was the verse I was going to get to preach on. I was like, yeah. I get to let off a little bit of that, the process, some of that steam, crying out this verse to God. What does this mean? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's break this down a little bit. I want to lay some groundwork here as we dive in this morning. I want to break down a couple of these words. This word kingdom, it's an interesting word, basalia. I don't know how to pronounce that. I can't speak the the language, so I'm just going to make up a pronunciation and say it confidently, okay? Basalia. What this word means is it's both spiritual and eternal. Now in our hearts and someday established here on earth. Look at this this, uh, definition, Basilea. The spiritual and eternal kingdom, which was to subsist first in more imperfect circumstances on earth, but afterwards to appear complete in the world of glory. Your kingdom come. This kingdom that we're talking about, it's a spiritual kingdom. It's also an eternal kingdom. And if you've been around the church at all, you probably have some theology around this. And in your mind, you think the kingdom of God might be a couple of different things. It might be the kingdom of God is something that's going to come someday when Jesus Christ comes back to earth and establishes his kingdom on this planet. That is true. That is something that we see in Scripture that we know is coming, but it's a both-and kind of a situation. Some people are recognizing and seeing it out there. Some people translate it and say, I'm a part of the kingdom of God now. God is my king, and this is the kingdom. Now, here's where we sometimes veer off, and some people think this is my kingdom, therefore God is my king, and I don't really need to worry about anything that's happening here on this planet because God is my king and I'm going to go be with him, and he's going to make everything right someday. So there's a passive response that can come out of this thinking. We can either put off the kingdom of God until someday Jesus is going to come back, or somehow we can imagine that because God is our king, we don't need to be concerned about what's going on on this planet. And I just got to make sure that you understand that this prayer is an immediate prayer. When God gave this prayer to his people, he was giving them something to say, this is what you pray for about right now, about your life right now, about the people you need to forgive right now, about the food you need to eat tomorrow. This prayer is about immediate needs. And when he's talking here, when Jesus is talking about praying for the kingdom, he's talking about something that is supposed to be coming right now, today, in every single one of us that claims the name of Jesus, we are to be living in this kingdom right now. This is not something that's just coming someday. It's something that he established when he was here on earth. And then he gave it to those of us who follow him, that we are to be agents of his kingdom right now. Every single day that we're alive, in our homes, in our workplaces, and when we interact with people at the grocery store, we are agents of God's kingdom. And as much as he's going to someday perfectly put his kingdom in place here on this earth, He's also encouraging us in this imperfect way, in this imperfect world in which we live right now, 
to be living out his kingdom, to be living out his values, love, joy, peace. Keep it going. These are the values of the kingdom of God. And he established this kingdom and gave us these values to live by, to be, to be sharing. He wants his kingdom to come and he wants it to come now. How do we advance it? Well, we advance God's kingdom in our hearts. We advance God's kingdom in ways. How do we grow his kingdom? Well, when people are drawn into this relationship with Jesus Christ because they're engaging you, God's kingdom grows. It grows in us individually as we give ground to God over our own will. And it grows as people are drawn into relationship with him. If we are believers, this is our reality. This is where we live now. I need this reminder because I look around this world and I'm like, mm, there's so much that just stirs me with angst. I was at a conference once where a speaker named Greg Boyd said, the kingdom of God is the dome under which God is king. The dome under which God is king. And when I'm living under a dome in which God is my king, he's giving me my marching orders, and I'm trying to figure out what it looks like to live with God as my king. What happens is when we team up together, when you're also doing that, when my neighbors are doing that, and we live together on this little piece of Franklin, and they're living under that dome where God is king, and we're living under that dome where God is king, and we bring that dome in around our driveway of people, we get a chance to expose people to God's kingdom. Pretty awesome. We are agents of God's kingdom right now. We are to be living out God's kingdom right now. It's also someday... It's going to be made perfect. It's going to be made amazing. This next section of the verse is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this, your will be done. It means it will be performed. It will be fulfilled. It will be accomplished. God's will will be done like it is right now in heaven. Isn't that a weird thought to think? God's will is being 100% implemented in heaven right now. You know what else is a weird thought to me? God's will was being 100% implemented on this earth before sin entered the picture. In the Garden of Eden, before things got weird, God's will was being implemented on this planet. So when we're praying for this, we're praying that God would go back and restore this. How do we figure this out? What does this look like for God's will to be done, for God's will to be accomplished? Because I look around the world right now and I'm wondering, where are we seeing this? And then every now and then we get these glimpses. We get these flashing images of God's will is being accomplished. I can see it. I can see it happening. But we often we're looking for it out there. And my challenge, the challenge for me in looking at this verse, as I've prayed this over this last year, what, what does it look like in here for God's will to be done? Because I'm a strong-willed person. Any of you that know me know, I got a lot of will. What does it look like when it's God's will and not Darren's will? 
Well, it looks, it looks a lot better. I'll tell you that. I kept praying this prayer. I kept crying out this prayer. And I'll be straight up honest with you. I was overlaying my will all the time as I was praying. And I'd end my prayers very honestly with God and say, I have no idea how to pray. But I want this. And I feel God could handle it. Yeah, don't finish the sentence. If some of you know me, don't say it out loud. But I wanted, I wanted so many things. I had so much will. And I wanted God to be doing things my way. And I felt this major shift happening in my soul where God was saying, I have a plan. I'm in charge. My will will be done. And the place it has to start is here. I want it to start out there. I want to be able to fix the problems out there. I'm pretty sure I have really good answers for most of the world's problems. In the middle of this, I had the opportunity with Julie and another couple, the Metcalfs. Metcalfs, wave at us here. The Metcalf family. Um, we had the opportunity to buy a, a piece of land together. And in the middle of that, we're figuring out what we're going to do with this piece of land and what we felt like was kind of the priorities. We're laying out these priorities. This is in January, mind you. I felt super clear, and they can all vouch for this. We had all these projects, all these things we were going to try to do to, to work on this property. We bought this property, and it was a mess. It was just absolutely, one of the reasons we were able to get it is because it had been owned by hoarders. And so our first priority was clean. It was just yuck. But in the middle of all the yuck and all the jobs I knew were coming, I told them right at the beginning in January, I'm pretty sure my primary focus is going to be gardening. <laughs> they looked at me like you're looking at me right now. Like, really? Gardening? Because they all know I've never planted anything in my life. N not even just a little plant. I've never planted anything. And I started telling them about what I was pretty sure somehow God was pushing me towards gardening. And I didn't make any sense to me. It definitely didn't make any sense to them. They would have um, laid heavy odds against me succeeding on this because as we put this garden together, I just pretty much did everything wrong. Everything I could have done was, you know, and I, I knew that what I was basically going to end up with were, you know, $52 cucumbers because, right? I made trip after trip after trip to the co-op. Everyone in there knew me my name. It was just, I mean, I was, I had to just be cracking jokes. As I'd leave, they're like, that sucker just bought another bag of that fertilizer. What a moron. And I did truckload after truckload of stuff, and I just, somehow, I just knew. God was calling me to do something. There was something in this. It was like I had this gardening mission from God, and I was the most unlikely gardener you'd ever seen. So if you would have told me one year ago, that I'd be standing before you pulling out a pair of overalls out of a bag while I was preaching, and that I would be very proud to show you the fact that I now own overalls. 
These are my gardening overalls, and I don't care if you like them or not. I love these things. These are amazing. And here's the crazy thing. Not only do I have one pair of overalls, those are my summer overalls. I have winter overalls. Oh, yeah. I got two pair of overalls, and I am the proud owner of two pair of overalls. And I, I mean, couldn't believe it. The most unlikely gardener in the world. I'd never bought a tool for cutting produce. Yeah, baby. I got a sheath, too. Goes on my belt. I got a sheath and a gardening tool. Come on. Come on. Couldn't believe it. All of a sudden, I'm diving in way, way, way over my head. And my garden, as you might guess, Megan Gardens. Do you all know Megan Gardens? Have you ever seen pictures of, of Keith's wife, Megan, her garden? Anybody seen those photos? Man, she's so beautiful when she gardens. And that's not me. I had no idea what I was doing. I still don't know what I'm doing. When people show up at my garden and they ask me, what's this? And I say, I don't know. I planted a bunch of things and I'm hoping those aren't weeds. And someone says to me, when do you know it's going to be ripe? And I say, I don't know. I'm going to figure it out as I get there. Things are growing. I've got crazy things growing all over my garden, and I don't know when they're going to be ripe, and I'm not even sure what they are. But I was sure of one thing, and that was that God was calling me to dive in and plant a garden. Check this out. Here's my, here's my garden. I, I, yeah. Yeah, people say, how, pr how proud are you of your garden? I say, I'm 65% proud of my garden. I'm 65% proud because there are green things in my garden. Not all of them have produced yet, and 35%, I have no idea what it is. I got weeds everywhere. We'll advance to the next picture here, a little, little bit of a different shot there. You can kind of see there's a lot of green stuff growing out there right now. I got a little video for you to get a little 20-second walkthrough here. This is a, a little overview of what God has done. Now, there are Pinterest gardens, and there are gardens when people get a mission from God to go do something way over their head, and they have no clue. I'm definitely in the way over my head, and I have no clue garden here. There are uh, some of you out there wondering if you can ever garden. Yes. I promise you, if I can garden, you can garden. Anybody can do this. I dove in, and I planted, and it's been an amazing experience to watch something happen as I dove in and gardened. All of a sudden, my angst about the world had a focus. I could cooperate with God's will. I could cooperate with his kingdom values. How? I could grow produce and bless people around me. And all of a sudden, I started to realize this whole mission from God to garden, it had a big old purpose. And growing produce was really not the main point. <laughs> growing God's kingdom in my heart. Me giving up my will and doing something different than I want to do. This verse, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This verse starts with me. We want God's kingdom to come. We want to see God's will lived out here on this planet right now in the middle of our fallen and broken system. It's going to happen if we give up our will and take on his. 
laying down my will and aligning with his will. In the middle of this, Julie found a t-shirt. She sent it to me. On the front of the t-shirt, it says, I garden because punching people in the throat is frowned upon. Does my wife know me or what? And this also, this also tells you a little bit about the stress in our household during this time. There were a lot of people I wanted to punch in the throat. And God didn't give me the permission. I don't get it. For some reason, that wasn't his will. Instead, I started gardening. Unfortunately, the shirt was only in female sizes. So if any of you find that t-shirt, I'm an XL. I would really love to get that shirt here. My birthday is August 4th. You want to give me that t-shirt? You can find it. I can't find it in men's sizes yet. I don't know why that's only a shirt for ladies. That must mean that some of you ladies feel the same way I do about some of this stuff. When I saw the title to this series, I leaned over and I whispered to Julie, any word on that screen jump out at you for, for me right now? Our Father. Cultivating authentic connection with God. <laughs> That's one of my cucumbers right there. Did I grow this cucumber? Did I grow this cucumber? Who grows vegetables? See, the amazing thing is my job is to cultivate the soil. My job is to prepare the seed. God grew that cucumber. He has a system in place. He has it all put together. It's amazing that if you just do a couple of these things in the right order, stuff grows. Because God has a system in place. And when we align ourselves with his system, he'll grow the fruit He'll grow the vegetables. I cultivated the soil, and oh my gosh, it's so much fun to watch God grow cucumbers. A lot of cucumbers, by the way. A lot. Anybody else have a lot of cucumbers this year? Anybody else out there? I've heard from some other people that this is like a banner year for cucumbers. Cucumbers are going off. I've been making pickles. I've been giving them away. I've been walking up and down my street. I had one of my neighbors just say, no, thank you. I don't like cucumbers. I was like, I'm bringing you a cucumber. You don't like cucumbers? But hey, some people don't like them. I've got to tell you, this has been an amazing experience, watching God grow cucumbers. Because I aligned myself with his system. I cultivated the soil and I prepared that seed. God went ahead and did something amazing. This is our job. Cultivate our heart and soul in alignment with his will. Most clearly revealed, he reveals his will in other ways as well, but his will is most clearly revealed in his word. When we do this, his kingdom grows. His kingdom grows in our heart. His kingdom grows as other people are drawn in. And as you and I link arms together as people living in the dome under which God is king, other people get a chance to experience the fact that there's something different happening here. And it's maybe attractive to them too. And maybe they're drawn into a place where this becomes a dome under which they would like to live too. God's kingdom begins to grow when we cultivate our heart and soul in alignment with his will most clearly revealed in his word and his kingdom grows. 
Two weeks ago, Keith mentioned how religion and shame shape our image of the Father. And I was taken by that as he was talking about our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. And why do we have such a distorted view sometimes? And two of the things that can distort our view of God as a good Father are religion and shame. And as he was speaking about that, I thought, huh, a key word jumped into my mind that was a key word of the religious lens. And that key word is should. Because religion and shame also affect how we think about God's kingdom and how we think about aligning ourselves with his will, advancing his kingdom here on this earth, being agents of his kingdom. When we live under the shoulds, we experience our Christianity as a long list of obligations, all the things that we've got to do. And I've just got to tell you, it's unbearable and it's impossible. And this is why Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for my burden is what? My burden is light. My yoke is easy. He presents something different. His kingdom is something different. We aren't given a list of obligations from Jesus. If you're View of religion, as many around the world. Someone just asked me this week, they asked me that question. I was actually sitting in my, uh, my barber's chair, and she says to me, are you religious? I almost just coughed on my tongue. I was like, oh, um, what, do you, what do you mean by that? She said, are you religious? And I said, well, you've been around me for a little while. I've sat in your chair for a couple years. Do you think I'm religious? She said, no. I was like, good. I said, I was a pastor for 25 years, and I really want to make sure that nobody knows that is their association with me is all of that should and obligation of religion. I said, I hope that I'd never put that off on anybody. And then we went ahead and had this amazing conversation about her faith and her faith journey. And she shared with me what God's doing in her life. She wanted somebody to talk to about this. I'm not sure she would have done it with somebody who was religious. It's amazing to listen to this conversation and realize religion's key word, should, actually keeps us from experiencing the kingdom. It keeps us from being willing to lay down our will because the shoulds are unbearable and they're impossible. Shame also has a key word. This one's a little more insidious. Shame's key word is for. Four, I get saved. I realized that what I needed was I had sin. I had a problem. What Jesus did for me on the cross takes care of my sin. So I go to him and I take this gift of what he did for me on the cross, right? This is what I go to him. I get saved. Now, here's a really big breakdown that happens is that many of us were raised in, in uh, at churches where the emphasis then becomes Four, I take what Jesus did for me on the cross, and now I'm going to live for him. It's really insidious. It's really subtle. If I could live for him, he didn't need to die for me. I can't do it. You can't do it. 
Christianity is not about living for God. It doesn't work. It's an absolute fail. Anything that we do for Jesus, it does build a kingdom. Whose kingdom does it build? It builds my kingdom. Anything I can do for Jesus builds my kingdom. And the Bible is very clear that someday when what we've done on earth is evaluated, the things we've done for him are going to be wood, hay, and straw. They're just going to burn up because they were done in my strength, my power, my ability. Insider tip here. Insider tip about Christianity. If you're struggling and trying to figure out what it looks like for God's kingdom to grow, for you to lay down your will and trust him for his will in your life, for your marriage, for your kids, for your work, for the future of America, insider tip, he wants his kingdom to come, his will to be done, and he provides himself as the engine He gives us the tools to cultivate this intimate relationship. Not only does he give us the forgiveness from sin, he then says, as you enter into relationship with me, I'm going to give you all the strength you need to live out my kingdom values. Because if you could do it for me, I wouldn't have needed to die for you. Anything we bring to the equation, I'm sorry if you think that what you're bringing to the equation is pretty hot stuff. It's not. We can't live for Jesus. The only way that happens is when we live in him. And in living in him, he provides everything we need. When God looks at Darren Jones, angry, punch him in the throat, Darren Jones... God sees Jesus because I place my faith in him. I have it all. I'm a part of the system. My job then is to align myself with the system that God has in place. The system he has in place is he is the engine and he provides everything that we need. Everything we need to live in his kingdom. Everything we need to see his will done in our life. It's him. It's all him. From start to finish, it's Jesus. He wants his kingdom to come. His will to be done. And he provides himself as the engine. He gives us the tools to cultivate this intimate relationship. Some of you, I'm sure, have most likely heard recent discussions around pronouns. Maybe you've seen in someone's pronoun in someone's profile online, you've seen they post he, him, she, her, they, them. And then there's some I've just figuring out, I've never heard them before. Je, je. There's, there's these other these pronouns. Some of you have heard these, you've seen it. You know what I'm talking about. The whole room's super uncomfortable right now. They're all you're, you're all you're all wondering what what is he what is he going to do right now? I'm not even going to touch it. I'm just going to bring it up and leave it right there on the table and make you all uncomfortable for a second. Because what I really want to do is because you're all hearing about this, because we're all wondering what it all means and how we figure it out. This pronoun thing. I'm hoping that for the rest of your life, anytime you hear anyone talk about their pronouns, you're going to remember this message right now, this moment, and you're going to attach it with the word prepositions instead. Because I'm about to give you a couple prepositions. I'm not even going to talk about the pronoun thing. I'm done now. You can, be, you can stop being uncomfortable. I just want to connect it in your mind. Anytime you hear it, I want you to go, 
pronouns, prepositions. Aha, yes. I'm going to give you a little gardening tool, and it's going to be a preposition. This first little gardening tool. This, by the way, coolest gardening tool ever. It's a spade. But look at that thing. Isn't that thing awesome? It's got this little hook. I can cut things with this little hook on one side. It's got a serrated edge on this side. I can go down deep into the ground and I can dig. I can just lean on this thing and it never bends. Every spade I've ever even seen has always had a bent neck because everybody bends it. But here's my little gardening tool. I'm going to give you a little gardening tool right now. My first little gardening tool for you is the preposition in. In. In and his friends, through and because of. These are all prepositions for you non-grammarians out there. Prepositions and a little prepositional phrase there. Our first little gardening tool is the word in. Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Let me pause just for a second because I know some of you are still trying to catch up with the fact that I said you can't live for Jesus. I lost some of you right there because some of you have been raised in a church system where you've had a lot of emphasis on what you're supposed to do for God. So I want you to be able to catch back up with me here and recognize I'm not just making this stuff up out of the air. Galatians 2.20, read this first part of it again. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer Darren who lives, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. He lives in me. My part back to him is my faith in him. And he provides the symbiotic relationship, the engine for me to be alive and live in his kingdom and live out his values. I can't do it for him. Thank God he's alive in me. And he provides what I need, the strength you need to live out his kingdom, to live out his values. John 15, 1 to 5. Jesus is talking to his disciples here, and he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may, be, may bear more fruit. And these verses are so alive to me right now. I'm about to prune things and figure things out. It's like these verses have never been more alive to me. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. And as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do some things. Is that what it says? Absolutely not. Because you and I can't do anything for him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. In him and only in him do we have anything. 
Only in him can we do anything. John 6, 38 and 40. Jesus is saying this. He says, for I've come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. How do you and I accomplish God's will? Well, the one who came down from heaven to accomplish it lives in us. And his will is to see his kingdom advance, to see people drawn into faith with the Father through the way you and I give up our will and live in his kingdom. Who grew the cucumber? God grew the cucumber. Whose fruit is produced in us? The fruit of the Spirit. I'm not making this stuff up. This is the fruit of God's Holy Spirit living in you and me that produces the good things about living in a relationship with God. I can't produce that fruit. I can't grow a cucumber. God does that. God does that. My second little gardening tool is this. I'm wrapping up with this. I hear the music starting. I know I'm supposed to stop when the music starts. Second little gardening tool. Fertilize your soul on God's word so you can see the weeds of should and for. We can't align with his will if we don't know it. It's crazy for me. I had to buy an app to take pictures of the things growing in my garden because I couldn't tell what they were. I had to buy an app that would tell me something was a weed or something was actually what I planted. And I found out things were planted all over the garden and I had no idea why they wound up in the bed that they were in. But I bought an app that would show me what the weeds were. That's God's word for us. We've got to be fertilizing our soul daily in God's word. You want to align yourself with God's revealed will? Get in God's word just a little bit each day. Let it start to saturate your soul and fertilize the growth of his kingdom in you and in me. He'll equip me to be an agent. He'll equip you to be an agent for his kingdom. How does this work out in our real lives? A friend of ours this week just wrote us and said they'd, they'd had one baby themselves, little beautiful boy, and a family that they're connected to blew apart. So they adopted two kids a little older than their son. And it's been rough. But they believed it was what God called them to do, and they did it. And then this last week, another family that they're close to started to blow apart. And there was another baby. This one's only three months old. And they came to this friend of mine and said, would you take this baby too? Whoa. Now what, is, what does it look like to live in God's kingdom, to live out his will? She was wrestling with this. She said she was on her treadmill, crying, literally tears, sobbing before God. What am I supposed to do? What do you want me to do? How am I supposed to figure this out? How do I do this with my life, my schedule, my finances? What does it look like for me? What is your will? This is what she was asking. What's your will? I thought this was fascinating. She wrote this back to me. While I was preparing to preach to you about this, she wrote this back to us and said, I think God's saying this. I will love this child through you. I will equip you 
as I did before, and the world will watch my glory, watch God be glorified in the face of overwhelming odds and worldly doubt. He would equip her. In in her, he would provide what she needed. We advance his kingdom by living as if this good father is our king. How are you advancing his kingdom? How are you laying down your will for his? Let's stand together as we close. I want to give you some time just to reflect. What does it look like for God to be advancing his kingdom in you and through you? What does it look like in your family, in your workplace, with the people on your street for you to lay down your will and to figure out what his is? This song that we're going to close with has that little gardening tool in it, your little spade. We sang it earlier. Christ, be magnified. Say it with me. Christ, be magnified in me.